Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Tess Vigeland is returning today with us. And if you recall, she's a veteran journalist and a well-known voice to millions of American radio listeners. For 11 years, Tess was the host of Marketplace Money on NPR. And Tess is also the author of Leap leaving a job with no plan B to find the career and life you really want. And after climbing that tall ladder of success, Tess left NPR and has been on her own hero journey. And I'm actually going to say journeys. Last time we discussed the truth about leaving the tall ladder and the real story afterwards. It's not all wrapped up in a nice pretty pink bow. And in this conversation, we dive deep into learning to listen to oneself and act on what you are hearing. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll circle back after the conversation with Tess. Tess, hello and welcome back. It is such a delight to be back. It's great to have you. you. Yes, thank Thank you. you. (laughs) So today I'd like to talk about, because you're heading off on a new journey that you shared with us last time, and about, but I want to talk about listening to ourselves and acting Uh, on what we hear. Yep. Very hard to do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It seems like it would be easy, but it's not. So how were you able to finally listen to yourself? Oh, geez. I, you know, I think, I think the first time around, um, when I quit my job, I just got to the point where I didn't feel like I had an alternative Mm -hmm. that if I kept going in, in the situation that I was in, that, that it would just get worse. And I didn't want that to happen. So I pulled a trigger in a way that was not very thoughtful, um, by which I mean I I didn't think about it a whole lot before I did it. But, of course, now that I know that it was good for me, I mean, with, of course, the 2020 hindsight that we all (laughs) value so highly, um, that has taught me to pay attention to signals that are coming my way. Because when I look back, you know, I, there were all kinds of things <laughs> that were going on, uh, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, even physically, that were telling me that there was something wrong. So now that I look, can look back and see those signs, I'm much more able to, at this point, three years later, pay attention to the signs when they come along again and listen to them. And I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to tell someone else how to do that because it's really a process of getting to know yourself and what turns you on and what turns you off. And I can't tell anyone else how, how to do that. They just have to pay attention to the signals that are, that are unique to them and for me, this latest, I guess I'm calling it leap number two <laughs> um, that I'm about to do, which is to basically move out of the country, 
Um, for me, it was paying attention to the joy that I experienced every time I hit the road by myself over the last couple of years. And I did that a lot because I was writing. So I needed a place, a quiet place. I needed a place where I was away from things. And so I did a lot of that um, just on road trips around California, around the American West. And I've never been happier. I just loved being out on my own um, with not a pen and paper, but, you know, with a laptop <laughs> and with my thoughts. And that's wanderlust. That's a need to, to get away from the familiar and into something that is not familiar. And I just, the, the level of joy that I experienced with that was <laughs> extraordinary. And I, you know, I, I, I've always had wanderlust. I've always wanted to be away um, and travel. And I have done a lot of traveling, but not to the extent that I always wanted to. So I paid attention to all kinds of things, but primarily I paid attention to the need to, to be away and to be by myself and to be exploring. And so the result of that is that I'm upending my entire life. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying in many ways, but it's mostly incredibly exciting. And every time I think about it, I still have I still have several weeks before I leave, but every time I think about leaving, I get just so much joy because I know it's going to be an adventure and I know it's going to be all new and different for me. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It won't. But I think the trade-off for difficulty versus joy is going to be well worth it. That's my prediction. Mm -hmm. So I know you say that there's not a how-to process, right, of finding signs. But I also think that it's important or it's helpful for people when instead of looking at a blank canvas and trying to figure out what it is, but to get examples of what are signs. So your signs are going to be personal for you and it's not going to be applicable to me or somebody else, but it gives us kind of an idea of like, oh, that could be a sign. So one of them that you talked about was you paid attention to the joy that travel brought you and being on your own. Mm -hmm. What were some of the other signs? Um, I guess restlessness was a big one. You know, I, I have this... I have a great life. I really do. I have this wonderful life in California um, with all the trappings of a wonderful life. But it it just, it wasn't feeling like it was enough. And it's hard, it's hard to put your finger on what that is, but it's a, a sense that you have all the things that are supposed to be making you happy. And yet you're not at that level of satisfaction that you should be. Um, you know, part of it was, part of it has been a real learning experience for me of <laughs> le learning how not to let consumption uh, be what drives what I think my happiness is. So, so I have a house, 
I have a beautiful yard. I have all the right things that are supposed to go into those things. Um, I had this great job, uh, had a house full of, you know, um, a husband and pets and, and nice cars in the driveway. And now I had all nice things around my house. And for a while that was enough for me. That was that, you know, that did it. But then as I started going through this process of figuring out who I was outside of my job, then I started to figure out who I was outside of the things, the 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 life that I had created for myself. Um, and I was really restless about that. And, you know, all those, all those things weren't making me, and I hate, I hate o- overusing the word happiness because I think there's a whole industry that's built up around, mm-hmm. you know, um, creating your happiness and figuring out your happiness. And that's not really what I'm getting at, but there's, that's why I use the word joy so often. Um, so I, I, I will still use the word happiness, but <laughs> that wasn't, I, I try not to quite so much. Um, but so I had an experience and I write about this in the book. I had an experience over the last year and a half or so where, uh, my husband was on a project that was an hour and a half away from our home. So he had a corporate apartment in Ventura, California. And I started spending a lot of time there when I wasn't out on road trips by myself. Um, and it's this teeny tiny apartment. It's, I don't know, I'm looking, I'm actually there right now. I'm looking around. It's maybe six, 700 square feet, um, about half the size of our house. And there's nothing here. You know, I mean, there's very, very basic kitchen outfitting. It's a one bedroom, one bath. Um, so, you know, for a bunch of pets and the two of us, it's very small. But when I was here over, over that time period, I felt like a weight had lifted. I felt like, and, and this sounds, this so smacks of some privilege, like, oh, you know, lucky you, you had this wonderful house and now you want to go live somewhere small. Um, but it is what it is. And this is my experience. So I just started feeling like I loved being up here and I didn't want to go back to my house because there were all these things that I needed to do with it. And, you know, there were all these things that were stashed. I mean, I'm not a hoarder. (laughs) You would not walk into my house and think, oh, she has way too much stuff. But I still felt like I had all these closets that were stuffed with things that I never use, even things that were brand new. And so I started to pay attention to that feeling that I wanted a smaller life, a smaller footprint, if you will. And that was just a matter of, of figuring out where that comfort was coming from or where the discomfort was coming from. Um, so there was a restlessness when I got back to my house And although it is a lovely house and I spent 10 beautiful years there, it, I didn't, I didn't like being there, which is weird because it's, it's a great house. Like I live in the backyard, but I actually felt more comfort in this place where I had relatively little than at my home where I had so much. And so that to me, so I guess, so I guess I was listening to the fact that I was less comfortable in my own space than in a space that was, um, 
I guess a little more foreign and a little, a little less creature comfort packed. Um, I'm not saying this, that the, the apartment is a hovel, but does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. So, (coughs) so that was another aspect for me that was, well, okay. So why is that? What, What is it about that? And what, what do I need to listen to and pay attention to in that new evolution of what makes me happy of where, of what kind of place I want to be in now? Yes, of course I could have just, you know, gotten an apartment instead of selling the house and packing up and leaving the country. But, you know, that was combined with the wanderlust. So there were all kinds of clues Mm -hmm. that my psyche was dropping for me along the way. And again, what I've learned to do over the last couple of years is to recognize that and, and to pay attention to it and also to be okay with it. Because change is foreign, and therefore it's you want to run away from it. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing that, I, I now kind of run to it because it's worked out so far. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if any of this is going to work. I don't know if it's going to it could be a total failure. I, I could get over there and absolutely hate it. Um, and I could get over there and absolutely hate being in like three, 400 square feet, which is probably what I'm going to be in if that, but I'm willing to take the risk at this point. I'm willing to take that, that second leap because I know that even if it isn't great, that a, either I can just come come home. It's really not that complicated. Um, or B, I know how to get myself past that point of discomfort and into something that's a little more manageable. Well, what does failure mean? Well, you know, (laughs) that's a really good question because I call it failure. Um, because you know, there's, there's already with, with my friends and with, you know, with people who know me, um, like on Facebook and Twitter, there's, there's this whole, Oh my God, I'm so excited that you're going to do this. You know, once again, I'm doing something that everybody wants to do. Um, the first thing was to quit your job. And the second thing now is to leave the country and go live somewhere else and travel. <coughs> um, so I, I get this feeling like people are looking to me as an example of how, how to do it and how brave and how awesome and how, you know, wow, you're amazing, which I am, <laughs> but, um, you know, I have this little voice inside me that is saying, okay, this better work out because a lot of people are watching and a lot of people, uh, you know, if, if you decide to come back after four months, a lot of people are going to say, oh, gee, what happened to her? Gee, that's too bad. She couldn't make it work. Now, of course, I'm projecting that onto people who probably could give two craps about, about what happens, you know, um, I, I think a lot of studies have found that other people are not thinking about us nearly as much as we <laughs> think they are, right? Um, but it's that fear of walking out onto the ledge and telling everybody that you're going to jump and then suddenly deciding, oh, um, maybe this isn't a good idea and uh, never mind. 
Um, that, you know, that's, that's not something you want to do. Uh, so that's what I mean by failure. It's not technically failure because I think the failure would be in not doing it, but there is still that fear, um, of what that would be. Well, so one of the things it sounds like is failure is that expectations of other people, right? Right. And Anne Lamont explains that expectations are resentments waiting to happen. <laughs> I love that. And and so, you know, it's it's almost like you're being burdened by other people's expectations that you need to go out on this journey and it needs to be the Cinderella live happily ever after. Yes. And yes. and for you about being really grounded in okay, maybe I go and maybe it turns out wonderful or maybe I go and, you know, after four months, I'm like, okay, next phase, next chapter. And I come home. Right, right. Without that, that very well could happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to to me, my my fear is that I will feel like that is failure. Um, I will feel like other people will look at it and say, oh, she couldn't hack it. Well, that's if you choose to believe in other people's expectations. Right. Right. Or even pay attention to them. Uh-huh. I mean, why? What? I, in fact, I've spent the last three years telling people, you know, in the process of quitting their jobs, not to worry about what other people are thinking about them. Mm-hmm. So, hello. <laughs> but but it's, it's one of those. I should pay attention to my own advice. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things like you could do that in the job because you've practiced it. Right. And then here right. you are walking into a new arena or going into a new country, and then all of a sudden, those same things that could trigger us, they show up again. And exactly. it's just an opportunity to recognize that and go, oh, yeah, this is what I talk about. Here's an opportunity for me to practice. Because like the way I look at it is we're so hardwired. We're programmed with buying into people's judgments to you know um, obeying people's expectations of, our, of, of us. And I, spe- I think even maybe more so as, as women – you know, doing that and thinking that we are responsible for making people happy or, you know, and even if yes. they're people you've never met, right? Yes. Your readers, you, you, your fans, the people who follow you have this expectation of how it's supposed to turn out because you are now, you know, burning the path. Right. Right. And, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say, um, I'm not burning anybody's path and please don't <laughs> follow me. And I don't, I don't want you to think that I have all the answers. Mm-hmm. because I don't. Um, and it is the same feeling that I had. It's ex- it's exactly the same feeling that I had. And it's the same response I'm getting mm-hmm. to when I quit my job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, uh, you remember I talked in my very original speech about how, mm-hmm. you know, everybody says, oh, you're so brave. And, oh, you're following this dream that everybody wants and good for you. And, oh, you're so awesome. And, and I almost don't want people to say that. I almost want them to be like, oh, it's never going to work. Because then when it doesn't, if and when it doesn't, or if it doesn't, then I'll be like, yeah, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. I was wrong. And so let's move on. But, you know, instead, um, I do... I do feel the weight of expectation and a lot of that, I'm sure, I'm sure plenty of that is completely, you know, just something that I'm putting on myself. And as I said earlier, people really aren't thinking about me that much, but, um, I do, I do feel a pressure to make this work and to make it, to make it fantastic. Um, 
Now that said, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to do some audio stuff while I'm over there. I I guess I'll call it podcasting, um, where I talk about, where I talk about the process and I talk about the experience. Um, and some of that is not going to be positive and some of that is going to be ugly and it's going to be hard and it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to show that, you know, yes, you can, you can follow something like this that you've always wanted to do, but that doesn't mean that a, you're ready for it and B it's going to work. Um, so I am going to show the warts and I'm sure there'll be plenty of them. So, you know, that, potentially serves to <laughs> prepare people for my failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um but but know, failure is only the expectations that you're letting the letting these supposed people down. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to let anybody down. But that's um, not your responsibility. You're right. It's totally not my responsibility. But I, you know, I do take that on. Mm-hmm. I take that on all the time. And I, you know, you, you mentioned the, the specific challenges that women face. And I think that's something that we do all the time. We take on, we take on everybody else's expectations and we, and we take on, you know, the idea that we can't let anybody else down, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's, the, you know, that's a nurturing part of us, but, um, do you, re- I have to get over that. Do you remember that commercial? I think it was from the 70s or early 80s. The Angelay commercial. The woman is like, I can, I can uh, bring home the bacon and I can fry I can it up, fry in, a it up in a pan. Yep. Because I'm a woman. And, yep. and, and I think... <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people say, like, I don't know how many, you know, how much perfume they sold, but I'm sure they sold a lot of antidepressants. <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. So yeah, just from... It cannot be all things, you know. Um but I also want it to work. Uh-huh. You know, I, even aside from what everybody else thinks, it's, you know, I'm, I'm following something that feels like it's supposed to happen. It feels in my gut like this is what I'm supposed to do. So I want it to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly going to work hard at making that happen. Um, but there is that little, that little voice. It's, it's in the back of my head that says, you better make this work because otherwise you're going to look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So what? So what? Yeah, easier said than done, my friend. No, no, it it is. But the more that we can say that back to that dictator voice, yes, right. So yes. what? And and because here's the thing, like you know, getting to know you through the years and stuff, and you're reading your books, and um, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, Tess, but you have a value of authenticity, and and that's really important. Like you know, being authentic and not you know, like your book. <laughs> Right. Or even your speech in WDS. Yeah. It's very authentic. Here it is. It's not this picture perfect or Cinderella story, right? You're authentic. And so, again, that goes against the culture that we are living in, whether it's the social media culture or how, you know, movies or shows get wrapped up in a nice, tidy ending. Right. Right. And, um, so we have to go back into our own self. Like, this is what I've had to find is, when I have to go in, in, in the end, because people are going to judge me no matter what I do. And I've tried yeah. so hard to run away from judgment and hide from it. People judge. People make stories. That is not my business. My thing is about me going in and checking in. Am I in line with my own values? Am I in line with my own integrity? So how do you do that? So one is I know my values. So authenticity is really high for me. 
Yeah. And, and I check in, you know, with any, if I'm facilitating meetings or how I'm living my life, I really go in and I check in. Is this in line with the person that I am? Is this in line with my values of who I want to be? And I'm not talking like, and I want the listeners to understand this isn't in the heat of the moment because I can lose it just like anybody else. Of course. But to, you know, when I'm making steps forward or even when I think about the show, like I think about connecting with you, not about all the, you know, spillover effects that happen from the show. And what what's the truth here? And there may be people that hate it. And so then my invitation to you is don't listen. It's okay. There's tons of other shows to go listen to. Go spend your time there. Um, sending me an email about you hating it, which I really don't get, is um, something that's just not worthwhile for either of us. Because yes. there are people, because I get the emails, that love this show, right? They love the realness of it. And I do think in that sense for you, there is this hungering of beyond that Facebook image, beyond that everything's all wrapped up and, you know, in a nice tidy bow. Yeah. But again, you know, it's, it's easier said than done to, to, to focus on that, you know, but it, but, but you're right. It's, it's all, it's about checking in with yourself. And, you know, I've had to, I've had to do that for all kinds of things related to the book. And, you know, I think we talked about that last time. And what I have to do is do it now. And, mm-hmm. and I also have to, you know, I'm going to use this word again, and I use it over and over and over these days. I have to check in with the joy. And I have to, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that I've been doing, um, you know, as, as I prepare for this major life change. Um, and I, I wrestle with these voices that are telling me that it better be awesome or, mm-hmm. or else. Um, I, so I, I, I've gotten wrapped up in um, trying to get everything done or before I have to go. And there are so many things that I have to do. And it's made me feel a little bit like a failure that I can't get all this stuff done in, in the time that I need to get it done. And so what I'm doing is every single day, every single day, I make sure that I do one thing, one thing that is tied to travel, mm-hmm. that is tied to the, my upcoming travel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's buying, um, buying travelers insurance, mm-hmm. <laughs> evacuation insurance, um, or, you know, getting myself, um, you know, putting, putting together a packing list, mm-hmm. you know, this one, even if it's just a really small thing so that I can feel that joy every day. Mm-hmm. And so that even if I do have those days where I, where that little voice keeps creeping up saying, boy, this better work, boy, this better work. You better not fail at this, mm-hmm. that I can counter that with remembering why I'm doing it <laughs> and remembering the joy that I feel every time I, I think about actually being away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose that's another thing that, you know, you, you, you have your check-in with yourself. And for me, the check-in is making sure that I have some element of joy every day. Mm -hmm. And that is a very powerful counter to the doubt, to the self-doubt and to the, to the expectations of, of perfection, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, you know, it's so funny. We, there's this whole debate out there about, um, our social media lives. And again, we touched on this last time too, but that we feel the need to show perfection all the time, but actually people get sick of seeing that. Mm-hmm. They don't, they actually don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. 
Now it's funny because if you put stuff, when you put stuff on social media that isn't necessarily pretty, um, it's not the stuff that gets a bunch of likes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I think there is something to showing humanity and showing, um, just being a person and not trying to, to generate that perfection. Mm -hmm. So as much as I want this to be a perfect phase of my life, it's not going to be. Um, and I, you know, I'm doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. Well, and that dictator voice, you know, when I think of it, it sounds, um, I, you know, I think, and you can disagree with me, but I, I think that anytime we have that dictator voice, the should, woulda, coulda, all, you know, that when we should on ourselves, and that there's a lot of judgment and judgment sits in the seats next to shame. And the definition of shame is a wet is the web of unattainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who we're supposed to be. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and that's those other people's expectations. I mean, we we can't, there's nothing we can do about that because there's a thousand different people out there that think how you or I should be living our life or what that should look like. There's a whole culture about how we're supposed to live. And for a while there, you were, you followed along with that, right? You had this great job, you had this great house, all of those things. And what it sounds like to me is that over time you have evolved. So the things that may have been your top priority have have changed. And it doesn't mean that it was bad or the wrong thing. It's where you were at that time. Right. And now you've, you know, and having been able to have that contrast where you are in a 600 square foot apartment versus your home and seeing, huh, all those things that I thought that I needed to feel good, I don't necessarily need. And it's actually feeling more like a burden. Right. Yeah. Where it maybe at a different part of your life, it didn't feel like a burden. Right. And, and that, you know, that gets to the whole idea of what your life is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. you know, on down the line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want anything to prompt this kind of change because mm-hmm. it, it, it changes the equation. It changes, it changes the, the linear path. It changes, changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, again, I, I guess I, you know, I learned this lesson with my career three years ago mm-hmm. and now I'm kind of, now I'm kind of learning it with the rest of my life and realizing and reminding myself again that you've got to live your life for yourself. It's one of those, it's one of those things where you should be selfish. Um, now, you know, obviously you, you, you have to take into account the people around you. Um, you know, if you have kids, if you have a spouse, if you have pets, whatever, I mean, obviously you can't be 100% selfish, but you also do, you know, you have, you have one shot at this life Mm -hmm. and you can't spend it, um, making a life that you think you're supposed to have Mm -hmm. and what it's supposed to look like. I, I am getting away from the supposed to Mm -hmm. now it's, it's a little easier for me because I have resources. I don't have children. I have, um, I have a freedom that a lot of people don't have that said, 
all of those things could have served to keep me where I am. And I'm choosing not to do that. But, and, but here, here's where, I mean, and I do, you know, again, we are, we are two privileged women, right? We're yes. educated. We live in the United States of America and we've made good money. So the yep. other side though, is that I remember when I left the, the tenured college job, um, I really felt like I was leaving the golden handcuffs, right? And so th- that privilege and that access that I had was also the thing that made me feel like I was not free. Right. Right. And so again, it comes down to, because you're also taking huge risk by what you're doing, going against everything probably you talked about on your show on NPR. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and so, you know, you're making choices and, and I, and I, 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 you know, when you said that word selfish, I do think both of us went like, oh, right. But when we listen to what it is that we want and we act on it, right, um, or we ask for what we need, I think our knee-jerk reaction as women is to go, I'm selfish. Right. 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 You're, but, tr- you're absolutely right. But is that really selfish? Right. And, and, and doing it in a manner of like taking stock. You're right. You don't have kids. I do have kids. But how can I live my life that's in line with my values? that I can make it work. So maybe for me, it's not about traveling to Southeast Asia because I'm not going to leave my kids behind. But what is it that I could do that allows me to listen to myself and to act on what I'm hearing? So I could say, oh, you were selfish, Corinne, for leaving this really safe, secure job. And I can tell you this, I beat myself up on a daily basis for a while. You know, how could I do this to my family? That is so selfish. Yeah. Right? But the other side is that if I had stayed... I don't think, I think I would have been really sick. I think my body would have stockpiled the pain. Oh yeah, definitely. And I would have shut down. Cause I mean, I wasn't doing well at the end anyways. So, you know, is it really selfish? Now there's some members of my extended family. Absolutely. How could you leave such security? Right. How could you leave such a safe thing? But I will always say I never felt safe in that so-called safe job. Right. Right. And not only that, but I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's just time for change, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, it's hard to put your finger on that sometimes, but, um, but it's there mm-hmm. and, you know, we're, we're not supposed to have a lot of change in our lives. <laughs> it's all, it's all supposed to be like, you know, planned out and, you know, uh, you're, you, you you know exactly where you're going and how you're going to get there and plan after plan after plan after plan. And, and I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear my, my dog is drinking water very loudly. Right What's your dog's time. name? <laughs> listeners, <laughs> listeners want to know anytime we have dog stuff. They always want to know. <laughs> I have two. I have a, a six year old black lab named Ronan and I have a, an 11 year old border collie named Kiara. <laughs> so they, they're both drinking a lot of water right now. Um, so, uh, now, now, where was I? Um, so, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes we're, we're not supposed to, you know, go without a plan and. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's, again, that's our cultural thing, right? We, we put that yeah. burden on the 17 year olds. So we're going to go to school. Yes. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? How would yes. they even know, you know, until you're curious, you're not going to know you need some sort of ignition. My daughter, um, we were in San Francisco last weekend because she got part she was part of this this think tank where um they put on the seminar for high school kids and so she applied and she got in and 
you know, parents were asking me what it was because I'd invited some other kids that I knew. And I said, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what a think tank is, except they're really <laughs> smart people. And so when I got there, I started asking the organizers some stuff. And really what it was, was an opportunity to prime the pump. They were talking about, there was two sections. One was constitutional law and one was uh, digital rights privacy and yeah. how that affects the constitution. And so for these kids, it was this opportunity to start priming the pump, like giving them a language, opening their eyes to what's out there. And then so that maybe it would filter out and now curiosity can happen, right? So this idea, like we're so f fixed mindset when we say to 17 year olds, and I can do this and I, I work really hard again to, to, to try not to, especially this time of the year for, you know, seniors in high school. What are you going to do? Where do you want to go? What are you going to study? Like, how do you know? You know, you may have this idea of what being an engineer is. Or, you know, studying chemistry is, but until you actually do it and experience it, you don't know. Right. And so we, we, but that it's that idea that if we have certainty in our life, we've got a plan and now we're safe. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Yes. 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 But exactly. We're, we're still not safe. No, of course not. It's an Nobody illusion. Is. It's an illusion. Yes. Yes. Did you see there was an article in the New York Times? I think it was this week. Um, where they talked about embracing certain uncertainty. And there's a nice little graphic. I'll send no. it to you. So there's this little graphic. It's on a napkin. It's like embrace uncertainty. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yes, that's my friend Carl Richards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, ask. The sketch guy. Yeah. Ask what it is to be done next. Right. Do it and repeat. Right. Right. And that's really true freedom. That's what we think that this having this plan is going to give us true freedom. But really, it's when we have this ability to embrace uncertainty. Yes. And I've gotten better at that, mm -hmm. um, but I'm never going to be an expert. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but but I, I think that's so real. And for, for listeners to understand that, like I, I mean, you know, going into a 10-year job, obviously, I didn't embrace uncertainty. Um, I wanted to know where I was going to be for the next 40 years. And the thought of that also was... <laughs> Not not very comforting, right? But right, you know, really being able to practice uncertainty in which means that I have to trust myself. Yeah, and again, that's one of the harder challenges in life, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. um, and and I don't think you get much better at it as you get older. <laughs> oh, just too bad. Well, do you, do you think that's because when we as we get older? There's more and more people around us saying, well, no, you need to have this. You know, you need, you need to have your house. You need to have this asset or you need to have, make sure you have medical insurance. Oh, of course. Right? Of course. Yes. Um, in fact, I, and not just as you get older, but even as you're younger, I got this wonderful letter from, um, from, from a millennial earlier this week. And she talked about how, you know, she went to college and she graduated in May and then, you know, she got her traditional job and a corporate job because she felt like she had to, and she felt like, you know, everybody was telling her that she had to have something with a 401k and with health benefits and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When all she ever really wanted to be was she, she wants to cut hair. Mm -hmm. she, she wants, she wants to be a hairstylist. Mm -hmm. That's all she said. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And so she spent three months in that corporate job mm -hmm. and then she quit and she's going back to beauty school. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And she said, I know that this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And right now I'm waiting tables as I put myself through this other school. She said, but I have to, I have to do this because it's what my heart tells me I have to, I want to, I have to do. And I know that there are people who are, who are going to look at even that story and say, you know, that's terrible advice to give anyone, mm-hmm. especially financially. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she's only what? She's got to be probably 21. She's got to be, I mean, she's so early in her career and we're telling her that she has to start thinking about when she's 70 years old mm-hmm. and she has to start planning for that. And she has to start planning for what her life is going to look like at 70. Mm-hmm. That's what we're telling her. Mm-hmm. What if she, what if she wants to cut hair until she's 80? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what if, what if she, when she's say 46 decides that she wants to leave the country and go travel the world? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Where she's not going to have a 401k. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think at any age, we just have all these messages for how we're supposed to conduct our lives, how we're supposed to prepare to be a parent, to be a homeowner, to be uh, an employee, to be a retiree. And sometimes I just look at that, that kind of planning and I think, you know, first of all, why are we dictating to people what their life is supposed to look like? And creating fear in them that if they don't do X, Y, and Z, they are going to fail and they are going to be living on cat food. Why, why do we do that? And it, it creates this culture of, oh my God, it's never going to be enough. And that's so unfair to mm-hmm. everybody. And I think, you know, and I think second of all, that also means that we're tamping down on people's spirits and on what they, on what they feel in their gut is going to be best for them. And, you know, that, that starts, as you said, at such a young age and it just continues and continues and continues until we're all so exhausted from trying to live the life that everyone has told us to live that we don't even enjoy it once we get it. Mm -hmm. And we've also instilled this fear in ourselves of the life that doesn't look like that. So, you know, I applaud this millennial woman who basically gave the middle finger to convention. Mm -hmm. I love that. I just love that she did that. And I know that she's facing all sorts of doubters and all sorts of people who are going to say, oh, you know, you're going to pay for this later. But, you know, screw them. Mm -hmm. They are not living her life. And she'll figure it out. She will figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. We don't. We don't trust ourselves and other people don't trust us to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think we have a lot of tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things is you say they don't enjoy it once we get it, right? Because if you are grinning and bearing what you're doing, and then once you arrive at the so-called promised land, you yep. haven't practiced joy. You haven't practiced happiness. You don't right. know how to do it. You know how to do misery. Yes. And so you have to practice it along the way. And then the other thing that's interesting, because I've been doing quite a bit of reflection recently, and some of the people that I do know that had those great jobs in, in the sense of security, right, where they had pension and could retire in their 50s and so on and so forth, it's interesting to kind of watch because, and again, this isn't, these are just, you know, 
N equal one case studies, right? But right. um and they're not the only contributing factor, but watching some people go through that and how some of them have blown up, right? Um, in parts of their life. So maybe they can, they were able to retire, say, you know, in, at 54, 55, and isn't that so wonderful, but at what cost, you know, to their emotional well-being? Exactly. And why, I mean, why do we worship that anyway? Isn't, isn't work, I mean, if, if you, if you are in some sort of career or job that you like, why would you want to retire? Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you going to do when you retire? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't see myself retiring until I'm, until I have to, until it's forced on me mm-hmm. because well, I want to be active and I want, I want my mind to be active. And, you know, this whole notion of retirement is a very new thing anyway. It is, it's basically post-World War II. Mm-hmm. And so for millennia, <laughs> we, most people have worked throughout their entire lives. And this idea that you have to just go, 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 and never take a break and never take care of yourself until you hit this magic number of 65, that's bizarre. Mm -hmm. It's weird. And I mean, I suppose if it works for you and you have done it and you're enjoying it, great. I'm super happy for you. But this idea that that's supposed to be the trajectory of our lives. It's, it's very new. And I think it's been an experiment and I don't know that it's worked. I mean, how, how many people do you know who, especially I think among like my parents' friends Mm -hmm. and well, no, I would actually say my grandparents' friends, you know, they retired and then they, you know, it was the classic, you know, spend the rest of your time on the golf course. and. I don't know. Does that does that sound full? I mean, if, if it is for you, again, great. But why do we make that the the vision? Well, I, I think what's happening now is that, especially in the millennials, I think are very um, they've given themselves permission for this. But when you do meaningful work versus do a job for a paycheck, yeah. So when you do meaningful yeah. work, you're really rooted in compassion and you know, wholeheartedness. And so then it's just, you, you want to do the work because it fills you up. Right. Right. Versus, you know, when you're doing it because, and, and there are times in my life I had to do work because it was a necessity. Right. Um, and so it didn't, it was whatever the job is here. It's all about the paycheck. Um, but when you can, you know, so I do think there is that, and I, I used to think about all the time about when can I retire from my tenure job? I just yeah. can't wait, right? Because it wasn't, it was more about the paycheck and the security than the meaning I was getting from it. Right. 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 So I, I do think that idea about retirement and then how, you know, how that looks. I mean, we're, we, I've done a lot of shows this past year and last year about what does retirement look like? What does that next act? And, you know, and people wanting to use their skills and maybe in a different way and maybe working, you know, more of on a part time basis you know, at that point in their lives. Um, it doesn't have to be the structure, you know, 40, 60 hour work week anymore, but how do they want to do work in their lives? And it goes back to being more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as we wrap up, I do have one question. Okay. Are you an introvert? (laughs) I never would have described myself like that. Um, because when I, 
I mean, you know, I broadcast to millions of listeners and I, I get up on stage with absolutely no stage fright, no problem. Um, I'm, I'm a very outgoing person, mm-hmm. but I think I am an introvert. I think I am an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I'm in a, a crowd of people who are, you know, there to hear a speech or something that I'm doing, I'm absolutely extroverted and I'm outgoing and, you know, I, I love being on the stage, but when I go to a party where I don't know anybody, mm-hmm. I, I would like nothing more than just to hold up the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've learned how to force myself to talk to other people I don't know. And, and for a living, I talk to people I, I don't know. When I have a microphone, <laughs> I can go out on the street and I can walk up to anybody and mm-hmm. say, you know, hi, I'm a reporter. Can I ask you a question? But doing that without a microphone in my hand uh, at at a dinner party or something where I don't know anybody is it's painful for me. Mm-hmm. And that it always surprises people to hear that because in you know in in a very public way I am I've got a huge personality. Mm-hmm. Um and people see that on stage and they hear it on the radio and and for the most part they they see it in person but I I do not like those situations where I have to put myself out there mm-hmm. without having some reason to do it, mm-hmm. whether it's a microphone or you know whatever it is. Um, so, like I said, I, I think I I think I am an extroverted introvert. I'm not even I, I don't think I'm even an introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm. I think I am an extroverted introvert with emphasis on the introvert. Mm-hmm. So you need that time to go in and refill up. Yes. But, but connecting with people can also be filling if it's in the, under the right circumstances. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm very much yes. that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I need my, I, I like my alone time. I, and I do have this dictator voice. You should, you know, you, you should be living your life more like the sex in the city gals, right? Yes. Except yes. I, don't, I don't wear stilettos. Um, but so my day is great because I, I do like having the downtime by myself or one-on-one with people. And then in the afternoons, evenings, when I go coach swimming, I get to be around the energy of the kids and that's great. Yeah. So it depends. So I just kind of know more the rhythm of my own body and needs of where I need to be with people. And sometimes when I'm just like, okay, I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go back. Yeah. Well, I got, you know, I was talking earlier about how I'm, I'm at this apartment in Ventura and mm-hmm. we're up here because the our house is on the market. Um, and I don't know anybody up here. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single soul. Nobody. And I love it. Mm-hmm. I've spent the last week, a little over a week, in this small apartment with my two dogs. And I, you know, I've just enjoyed having that time uh, and having the space. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't miss my friends. I, I do. Um, but there is something to be said for just quiet time. And I've actually gotten a lot of work done too, mm-hmm. which is, I think, revelatory as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's, not, it's not that I don't want to be around people, but sometimes there's just a need to be, to be quiet and to be, to have that space. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really fortunate 
that I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and also that you can be comfortable with that because I, I think sometimes I used to struggle with that. Like, Corinne, you should, you should be out there. You should be, you know, whatever, cool or whatever it may be. All these judgments again, which again is all that shame stuff, right? That web of right. who I'm supposed to be and the expectations instead of, you know what? It's okay. I am, it's Friday night. I am home. I am happy to sit here by myself. Yes. Right. And, um, so getting really comfortable with being in that space and letting, um, and being comfortable with letting go of the expectations of who I think I'm supposed to be based on cultural expectations. Right. Well, and I think, uh, you know, at least for me in this kind of situation, it's easier for me to let go of those expectations because there's no one around me to, to make me feel like there are expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't feel any pressure to, you know, go out to dinner with somebody or to have coffee with somebody or, you know, and again, part of it is because I don't have that option. I mean, I suppose I could walk up to somebody in the grocery store and say, Hey, you want to go have lunch? (laughs) (laughs) But I literally don't know anybody here. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like being on a deserted Island, except that there are people around me. So I don't feel completely lonely, Mm -hmm. but, um, I don't know. There's, there's something about it that I, that I really like. And that's a good thing because (laughs) I'm about to go somewhere where not only do I not know anybody, but I can't even speak the language. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's good to know this about myself that I can, that I can handle it and that I can actually thrive in it. And that it's, there's a part of it that's good for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've been practicing, right? You've been practicing being a bit more (laughs) Well, Tess, thanks so much for coming back again. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, I've said this before. It's always just so nice to, to chat with you. It's just, it's just lovely. It's, it's like, it's like we're having lunch somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it's not under obligation. No obligation whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. All right. I just love talking with her. What a great conversation to have. And I want to circle back to this idea of signs and getting to know yourself listening to your voice and what is the difference between your voice and the voices of others and being able to identify that. And it's going to take practice. I invite you to let go of that transactional relationship we have, let go of the dictator voice, the should, you should be able to do this because it can be a reflection of your intelligence. It isn't. We're programmed not to pay attention. We're programmed to listen to other people's opinions over our own. So I invite you just to start to pay attention. Notice the patterns over time. Listen to what things feel like inside. And when you do this, I just invite you to do it from a place where you're rooted in compassion and empathy or rooted in wholeheartedness versus when you're rooted in fear. It's really difficult to listen to your own intuition when you're rooted in fear or shame. Because then the voices, that complex uh, web of who you're supposed to be and those expectations come up and dictate that instead of being able to have perspective taking and be really grounded inside of you. So being able to listen in and understand that's the first step before you even start to act on what you hear, but start to pay attention, get to know who you are. That becomes so important. And then the other thing that I think is important is this idea of evolving over time. 
test and judge yourself that, oh, at one point in my life, I wanted these material things and I shouldn't have done that because look where I am now. Instead, it was, there was an acceptance of that was her path to get her to where she is today. And so often we'll think that we made a mistake in one sector of our life because maybe we're different now. We've evolved. And sometimes until you have that experience, have the house, have the job, it's hard to know if you wanted it or not, right? Having that contrast of the apartment and the home, having the contrast of the job or the golden handcuffs and then not having it being a freelancer until you experience it and go through and you can be grounded and curious and compassionate, can you then make decisions about what works for you? And finally, this idea of joy. One of the things is that it's definitely something that we all want, but it's also something that we're quite afraid of because one of the things that we're really afraid of is being vulnerable and to have joy is to be vulnerable. And vulnerable is uncertainty, emotional exposure, and risk. And one of the problems that comes about with joy is we tend to forebode it. And it's that, oh, this is great, but when's the other shoe going to drop? Notice that in your life. So practicing joy is hugely vulnerable because it doesn't mean you're in that promised land forever. It just means you're joyful for right now. And I invite you to practice gratitude because that is the antidote of foreboding joy. So thanks so much for listening. And remember, we're building a community here at How She Really Does It. So you can go to my website and sign up for free. You'll receive the weekly newsletter as well as an opportunity to connect. And you never know, you may email me a question and it may be answered in the newsletter. I invite you to join us. A special thanks for Tess for returning. And until next time, I invite you to start listening to yourself. Check in, notice what is your voice and what is the voice of others. And when you do this, do it from a place of curiosity and self-compassion because that's where you can really see what is going on. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you.